Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Well, hey, good morning, church. So good to be with you today. As many of you heard, my name is Ryan, and I have the chance to lead our student ministry Paramount along with my wife and a ton of other amazing volunteers. And uh, man, we are just so excited about what God is doing in the young people. And I know there's a lot of grim and you know, gloomy looking projections out there of what the future holds, but I wanna tell you, I think the future is very bright. Uh, we get to work with young people all the time, and I think that they're gonna pay, that you know, they're gonna do incredible things that our generation could only dream of. And so um, I'm so excited to share with you today in the series, Summer Fruit. And the whole series has been kind of centered around Galatians 5.22 through 23, which says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The idea is that if you submit to God's leadership in your life, that you'll begin to see these things show up. And not only does God ask us to live these things, but he actually enables us to live these things. And so it's been an awesome series. Today, I want to continue with one of the fruits of the Spirit, or one of the characteristics that I think is so important, and yet very often it's overlooked and underestimated. You know, about four months ago, my wife and I, along with some of our friends and Paramount volunteers, we headed over to a conference that was not too far from here. Was, uh, for all for young people, there are thousands of young people there, and the nice thing about working with youth ministries, you get to kind of prolong those windows in your life where you get to do the really fun stuff that all the youth do. So uh, we were really excited to go to this conference. It was three days of messages and practical workshops and things that are just super helpful. And on the final day, there was a preacher who was preaching about this idea that we need your story. The concept was that all of us have a story to give, but that all of us need each other's stories. It's this beautiful picture of what God does through the church. But at the end of this message, he got up there and he, he asked all of us to close our eyes and to ask God a simple question. And to ask God this, God, what is your calling on my life? And to be honest with you, as someone who feels like he's living his calling, doing kind of what God wants him to do, I knew I could have checked out there, but... There's something I've learned in my short time here on earth, and that is whenever you have an opportunity to hear from God, you should take it. And so alongside thousands of other young people, I just closed my eyes and I asked God that question. God, what are you calling my life to? And almost as soon as I got the question out, I felt like I heard God speak to me. And it wasn't in an audible voice to my ears, but it was in that powerful, resounding whisper. And what he spoke to me was not exactly what I would have expected. You know, he didn't give me new vision for our student ministry, and he didn't give me new opportunities or things, the who's, the what's, the where's, and the why's. He, he didn't really give me that, but what he spoke to me was so powerful. And so when I asked God, I said, God, what is your calling for my life? I believe God spoke this, to live a life of faithfulness. To live a life of faithfulness. And it resounded so deeply with me because no matter what I achieve in this life or no matter how much I succeed in this life, the thing that matters most to God is that I stay faithful to him, stay faithful to my wife, stay faithful to the relationships that God has placed me in. 
This morning, I want to dive into this idea of faithfulness, this characteristic of faithfulness. But I want to let you know up front that faithfulness is not the, you know, glitzy or glammy fruit or characteristic. It's not the tantalizing one. It's not the buzzword. It doesn't make you feel as good as joy or peace. It won't get you as noticed as love. But it is so important. It is so valuable and it is so necessary, especially in a culture where we are surrounded by things that are instantaneous. You know, we live in a world of instant gratification. You can have anything at your fingertips or at your doorstep in two easy days. But see, faithfulness kind of butts heads with that because faithfulness pushes for something much longer, much uh, bigger than just right here and right now. Faithfulness arises when there's a tension between what you're doing and what you hope will be the result of what you're doing. Because faithfulness, sometimes we are faithful even when we don't know the end of the story. You know, my dad is one of my heroes. He's sitting in the front row here, and we have an incredible relationship. And one of the ways that we really bonded growing up was by watching sports. And so growing up in Southern California, we were big-time Lakers, Dodgers, USC Trojans fans. And when I was growing up, they were actually good, so it was really fun to watch. Um, But every once in a while, we tried to watch as many games as we could, but every once in a while, we couldn't really watch the game. Maybe we had a church function or something going on. And so my dad used to record the days. Now, record the games. Now, back in the day, this was on something called a VCR. And if you don't know what that is, just ask your parent, okay? Nowadays, we do it on DVR, right? Like we record. Um, And so my dad had just kind of a little quirk uh, when it came to how he would watch these games because most of the time, if you record a game, you don't want to hear anything about how the game is going, right? You don't want to know what's happening so that you don't ruin it, right? You want to watch the game, experience it as almost as if it's live when you're watching it. But my dad is just a little bit different. My dad actually likes to know everything that is happening throughout the game. He likes to know the score. He likes to know who's scoring. He likes to know who's winning. Ultimately, he wants to know who wins. And I'm like, dad, that's kind of an odd thing. Why do you want to know who wins or loses before you ever watch the game. And he made it very simple for me. He said, look, if I find out that my team wins, then when I watch the game, I won't have any pressure. It's like a victory parade through that game. But if my team loses, I'm not going to waste my two and a half hours watching that game. And I was like, dad, I think you're missing the point a little bit. No offense. (laughs) See, but don't we all love to know that we're going to play on the team that wins? or root for the team that wins. When we watch a movie, don't we like to know that the story's gonna finish well? That's why Inception just totally blew our minds and we're like, this is messed up. See, we all like to know that what we're fighting for in the struggle is gonna be rewarded in celebration. But see, faithfulness isn't always like that. There are times in faithfulness where you live this out in a way where it doesn't really matter. It doesn't seem like it's going to matter in the end. And some of you, you've been fighting to be the new you. You've given up your old life. You've said no to your old friendships or your old ways, and you're struggling to say yes to the new things that God has for you in your life. But every day there's this tension and there's this struggle. It's hard to be faithful, and it seems like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but sometimes it feels so far away, and the real question that comes up in your mind is, is it even worth it? Is it even worth it to say no to that stuff and say yes to God's leadership 
in my life. Some of you may be struggling with faithfulness in your relationships. Man, it seems so much more gratifying to go after that thing which is unfaithful. That person or that thing or the way they make you feel. And so to your husband or to your wife or to your family, it's a lot easier sometimes when you come home and the kids are just as energetic as ever and you feel like you're so tired to be faithful to them, to invest into them. It's difficult to be faithful. Sometimes it's difficult when you have a dream in your heart that you are pursuing, that you believe God has led you in, and every step you take, you're not sure if it will actually turn out the way that you dream it will. Maybe you've been praying prayers for weeks, months, years, decades, and every time you pray, it seems like it goes in a different direction than what you're hoping for. And that is the tension of faithfulness. Because faithfulness can seem risky. Faithfulness can seem like the greatest risk because we think, if I give God everything I have today, will it matter tomorrow? And this morning, I don't know where you're at with faithfulness. I don't know if you've been going strong for decades and you just need a little bit of a pick-me-up. I don't know if you're hanging on by a thread. Maybe you're, you're grasping to faithfulness with every bit of energy you have. Maybe you could just say, I... I haven't been faithful. No matter what it is, no matter where you're at, I want to today encourage you to be faithful. Even if it feels like a risk, I want you to double down. I want you to dig deeper into this thing called faithfulness. So to do that, we're going to need God's help. So we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. This is the very verse that this whole series has been based around. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's really interesting to note that when the writer of this text, whose name is Paul, he wrote this about 2,000 years ago to a church in Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And when Paul wrote this, he didn't write it in English. This is a translation. Paul wrote this in Greek. And the Greek word that Paul used for faithfulness It had a dual meaning. See, on one hand, it meant faithfulness. It meant that loyalty, that fidelity, that consistency. But the same word that Paul also uses for faithfulness here is the same word that Paul used earlier in Galatians 5 for faith. And see, to Paul, faith and faithfulness were two sides of the same coin. That your faithfulness will be spawned from your faith. You need God to produce that in you. And this is really important to understand that faithfulness has a tension to it. Faithfulness is something that we want to be consistent and grounded and a foundational aspect, but faithfulness will also challenge us to increase our faith and believe God for greater and greater things. It's this tension. But it's something that God is okay with because they are inseparably tied. See, one thing you have to understand is that if you want God to do something through you, you need God to do something in you. Long before you'll ever do the things that people will see, God wants to do the things inside of you that no one will see. God wants to release you into a calling for your life. I have no doubt about that. But God, more than that, wants to create a character inside of you. In fact, I would say it this way, that character is the foundation upon which calling is built. 
The character is the foundation upon which God uses to launch us. And so faithfulness is this launching pad for faith. And faith is this launching pad for faithfulness. And so in order to understand faithfulness in this context, I want to look at a story that Jesus told. It's a powerful story in regards to faithfulness. And we know about it because it was recorded in Matthew's gospel. Matthew followed Jesus around. He was one of his followers. And this is his account of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. He says, For it will be like a man, this is Jesus talking, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So Jesus sets the stage here. This is the first half of the story. Jesus sets the stage with this idea that there is a master, and he's making a very clear parallel here, that the master is God. There is a master who has these servants. And the master is going away for a time, but the master entrusts to these servants talents. Now, in this time, talent was actually a type of money, but Jesus is painting a much broader picture here than just money. See, what he's saying is that as servants of God, that God has literally given us something, but you'll notice that he uses the word lent. He lent them something. And the first thing you have to understand about your life when it comes to faithfulness is that your life is not your own. It has been lent to you by God for a limited time. Another thing that you'll probably notice as you read this is that this kind of offends our modern sensibilities. We see that Jesus gave five talents to one person, he gave two talents to another person, and he gave one talent to one guy. And all of us nowadays, we'd like to say, well, why didn't they all get three or four or five? Why didn't he split that up? And you know what? This really hits at one of the major issues in faithfulness. And that is that faithfulness cannot coexist with comparison. That if you want to be truly faithful in your life, it will never help happen if you have comparison going on. See, because what begins to happen is you begin to worry about what other people have. And when you begin to compare yourself to other people, it will either lead you to pride where you think you're better, or it'll lead you to insecurity where you don't think you're enough. But no matter what comparison does, it will always kill faithfulness in your life. Because it's impossible to focus on what you have if you are focusing on what someone else has. And if I could just be honest with you, if I could open my life to you just a little bit, I would tell you that this is one of the things I struggle with. Comparison. It's so difficult for me sometimes because I realize that in my life I've made decisions not because I was being obedient to God, not because I was trying to use wisdom or follow God's call in my life, but because I was trying to measure up to someone else. I was trying to find my significance in something that could never give it to me. And so God has had to begin this process in my heart where every time I start to compare myself to someone else, every time, he began to show me this little trick where I'll just begin to pray for them. And every time that comparison thought comes in, I begin to pray for them, but not just like a short little prayer. I start to pray that God would bless them in all the ways that I hope he blesses me. 
Everything that I'm seeking for their life, everything they're seeking for their life, I'm praying that God would give it to them more than they could even imagine. By the time I'm done, I'm fired up for this person. I'm like, man, you're going to do awesome. But if I could be honest, it's just a little annoying because it's like I kind of get tired of praying for people so often. And it, re- it made me realize how often I was comparing myself to other people. But I knew that if I was going to be faithful to what God has given me, I couldn't compare. I couldn't afford to compare. See, Jesus, he, he's not making it an important thing how much you got from him. What he cares about is what you do with what you got from him. And we can see that there is one servant, the one with five, and then the one with two. The, the one with five, it says that instantly or at once, he began to go trade what he was given. That there was an urgency to what he did. And this is this other strange tension that shows up in faithfulness is that faithfulness is a marathon, but faithfulness is also a sprint. See, faithfulness requires consistency, but faithfulness also requires urgency. It's understanding the importance of the future and making it show up in today. That is faithfulness. And Jesus draws out this idea of urgency because all around this story that Jesus was telling, there was this context See, before and after, Jesus had been talking to his disciples about this event that was going to take place. See, there was going to be a moment where Jesus left. And his disciples didn't really know what that meant. But Jesus said, there's going to be a time where I leave this earth, but mark my words, I will come back. And when I come back, I want to find you ready for me. I want to find you hard at work doing what I've put in front of you. Jesus asked his disciples, I believe he's asking us, are you ready? Whether we go to see him or he comes to see us. I'm going to tell myself just a little bit. Um, Not because I'm proud of it, but because I think it'll help you. A few months ago, my wife and I, we had a day off. Friday is our normal day off. And so we have very different approaches to how we spend our day off. She likes to go be with people. And for a day, I'm kind of like, I don't want to see a person. <laughs> I want to turn off my brain. I want to play some video games, you know, maybe write some music. Do, I don't know, just, just do things where I'm in a small little cave. It's a dark room, you know, just kind of do my own thing. And so we have our different approaches. But there was one day, there was a Friday, where we knew that we were going to have a 6 p.m. The only thing we had that night was a 6 p.m. dinner with a mentor couple to us. It was a husband and a wife who have been great mentors to Kristen and I in our marriage. And so we knew uh, they had invited us out to dinner with them at 6, and they were going to pay for it. It was just really a nice gesture. They just wanted to see how we were doing. And so I knew all day that that's the one thing. I'll probably have to leave around 5.45. And so around 5 o'clock, Kristen had gone. She wasn't there. And I got an invitation from one of my buddies to play some video games. So I started playing video games. Don't judge me. This is how I relate to your 13-year-old kid, okay? I want you to know that. <laughs> and so, uh, so we're playing video games, and the time's creeping forward and creeping forward. Around 5.30, I'm still playing video games, and Kristen gets home. And she sees me, and I'm not completely ready, and she says, um, are you going to be ready? And I'm like, yeah, totally. And then as soon as she goes upstairs, my friend on the headset says, you want to play another game? And I'm like, yeah, totally. <laughs> and so... I start another game, like hoping I can get it in, but not completely sure. And so the the minutes are ticking. It's getting closer and closer to 5.45. Eventually, 5.45 happens, and Kristen comes on downstairs. She's completely ready to go, and she looks at me, and she says, you're not ready. I can't believe this. I'm not waiting for you. See ya. (laughs) And uh, I haven't been married very long, 
But I've been married long enough to know that that was not good. (laughs) To the point where I even said to the guy on the headset, I think I'm in trouble. And so about 5.50 comes, and I'm scrambling, I'm going upstairs, trying to get ready. And I get out the door, and just as soon as I get in my car, I get a text from her saying, hey, we're seated, join us whenever. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know if she said it mean, but it definitely was like, "Uh uh-oh. And so as I'm driving there, you know how it is, I was thinking of all the different ways that this wasn't my fault. I'm like, oh, (laughs) the problem was there was not one way it wasn't my fault. It was just all my fault. I wasn't ready. And so I get to the restaurant, and they were so nice and gracious to me. They made me even feel good about myself for doing this. They're like, oh, it was so nice that you took some time for just you. I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, thank you? Uh, What happened? See, I I didn't structure my life in a way that was going to get me ready for what was coming. I had a head start. I knew exactly what time I needed to be ready by, but I wasn't ready. See, Jesus is saying, I'm going to come back or you're going to come to see me, whichever happens first. Are you going to structure your life in a way that you will be ready? Are you going to use your life in a way that you will be ready? And so Jesus talks about what it looks like when you stand face to face when he returns. He goes on to say in verse 19, he says, Now after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I'm going to pause for just a second because I I think it's important we catch this. That Jesus, the master, said the same thing to both servants. But both servants brought back different sizes of return on their investment. One person brought back two extra, one person brought back five extra. And what Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what you do in the grand scale, what everyone will think. It matters what you do with what I've given you. Yet again, it's not your ability to do something with someone else's gifts. It's what God has given you. Then, of course, there's one knucklehead. There's always a knucklehead. And this is what it says. This is what Jesus said. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was mine with my own, with interest. Here we go. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is kind of a harsh way to look at this. 
And it may even be surprising to you because if you think anything like I do, you think, well, as bad as that servant was, as lazy as that servant was, he didn't lose the money, right? He got one and he at least gave back the one. But see, Jesus is drawing out a really important point here. He's speaking it to his disciples. He's speaking it to us. That faithfulness does not equal maintenance. And maintenance does not equal faithfulness. If you are using your life in a way that is simply surviving, just treading water, and I understand that there are seasons of pain. There are different seasons. But if you are not making the most of what you have, that that is not true faithfulness. It's not just consistency, but it's an excellence in your consistency. See, faithfulness does not equal maintenance. And I think about what got this servant into trouble. And if you look at the text, what you see is that the servant, the reason he never made anything of what he was given is because he had a really bad view of the master. Right? He said, I knew you to be a harsh man. I knew you to be a guy who gets rich off the backs of others and doesn't do anything for him. I knew you to be a person that doesn't reward the places or the people. And can I just say this, that if we have an improper view of God, if our faith is in a God that we can't trust, then we will never make the most of what he's given us. See, this person misunderstood God. And because of that, he didn't make the most of what God had given him. And sometimes, I just think, like if you're having an issue with faithfulness, it may not be because you have a consistency issue, it may be because you have a faith issue. Do you really believe that Jesus, that God is a God who rewards you for the difficulty you endure for his name? For the struggle, for the sacrifices, for the times when you didn't sleep in on a Sunday morning, but you got here? Do you believe that God will reward you, whether it be in this life or in some cases the life to come? Because if you don't have that level of faith, you can never truly walk in faithfulness. Ultimately, I think it comes down to this, that you have to trust God. If we trust God, then we'll make the most of what he's entrusted us with. That's just, that's a natural byproduct. But if we don't trust God, we won't make the most of it. We won't trust him. We'll, we'll try and preserve our energy for things that make us happy. We'll try and protect ourselves and do as little risk as possible. We won't sacrifice because we're only thinking about the here and now because we think God will never reward me. But let me tell you that God some of you need to know this this morning, that God will reward you for what you have said yes to in your life. The obedience you've given to God, the sacrifice, the struggle, that God will reward you. That you are not hopeless. That you are not on your own. If we trust God, we'll make the most of what he's entrusted with us. And you know, it gets so easy for us sometimes to look at other people, right? Back to comparison. And we look at someone else and we think, you know what? If I just had what they had, I'd be killing it. I'd be killing it. Can I just be honest with you? If you had what they had, you wouldn't be killing it. It'd be killing you. 
Because what you never saw is you never saw the nights where they were in tears, where God was speaking to their life. You never saw the moments of pain and process where they had to say no to some things that they really wanted to say yes to. You never saw the character God built in them and therefore that has made them ready to handle the blessing. Sometimes God says yes to our prayers. Sometimes God says no, but sometimes God says later because he knows if he were to give us exactly what we asked for, it would crush us. We wouldn't be ready for it. See, God is looking for faithfulness, not with what someone else has. God is looking for faithfulness with what we've been given. Remember, Jesus said, if you make the most of what you've been given, he who has will be given more. You will be entrusted with more. And so don't worry about the more. Worry about the now. <laughs> worry about what's right in front of you. That is faithfulness. Multiply what God has given you. So the question becomes, how do we multiply? If God has entrusted us with time, opportunity, money, creativity, gifts, talents, relationships, influence, how do we multiply it? How do we do what those other servants did? And the answer is found in 1 Peter 4.10. It says very simply, if you want to be a good steward, if you want to multiply what God has given you, use your gifts to serve others. Use what you've been given in a way that sacrifices of yourself for someone else. See, because if you keep what God's given you to yourself, that's all it'll ever be. One will stay one. But if you begin to invest what you've been given in other people, that's when it begins to multiply because you never know how your investment in one person will affect countless other lives. And so some of us, we need to begin to ask God, ask ourselves, what have I been entrusted with? What gifts, talents, creativity, what relationships have I been given? What people am I around? What money do I have? And I would encourage you not to wait for the perfect moment because the perfect moment to start serving with those gifts will never come. It'll never happen. You'll never get enough time to want to get into a place where you volunteer. You'll never get enough money to make you say, okay, now I'll finally start tithing. What you do with what's in front of you is a good uh, eye-opener to what you'll do when God gives you more. In fact, it's actually the test of whether he'll give you more. And so once we discover who we are, we have to begin to serve. We have to begin to use it to serve. I, I know there are some of you in here who have had, man, you, you've had childhoods where it was just brutal. You, you grew up in a broken family, but God has resurrected that area of your life, and now it is your turn to give that back to a kid in Super Kids or to a kid in Paramount who are struggling with greater than ever family needs. Some of you have been given a voice. Some of you have been given money. How can you use it to serve? What connect group can you be a part of or lead where someone else can benefit from your life, from your wisdom, from who you are? I don't know what that gift is for you, what that talent is for you, what that opportunity is for you, but I do know that God wants you to make the most of it by serving others. And you just never know who or what your faithfulness will inspire. You never know. I heard this quote by a man that lived in the 1700s named David Brainerd. David was a 
missionary to the Native Americans living in New England. And in one of his prayer diaries, this is what he wrote. He said, Lord, let me make a difference for you, utterly disproportionate to who I am. Let me, let my life make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. So you see all of your shortcomings, but God sees opportunities. He sees opportunities to make impact and make his name great. You know, it's kind of interesting that we would even read this quote from David Brainerd because David Brainerd lived in the 1700s. He was an obscure missionary in native to the Native Americans, he saw maybe a handful of them convert to Christianity, come to know Jesus. He was someone that got kicked out of Yale, died at age 29, and struggled with severe depression. He wasn't a candidate for like the guy we read on the screen in 2017. You know what I'm saying? But see, David Brainerd made a very important impact on a man named Jonathan Edwards. In fact, he was in Jonathan Edwards' home when he passed away at age 29. And Edwards was so deeply moved by his passion and faithfulness to God that Edwards actually took his diary and he put it in one of his books. And Edwards became one of the most read person, people of all time. In fact, hundreds of thousands of people have read Jonathan Edwards' books And it has inspired part of what we call the modern missions movement, where millions of people have come to Christ because of missionaries all over the world. See, David Brainerd made a difference that was utterly disproportionate to who he was. And he never even got to see it. You don't know who or what your faithfulness will inspire. I think about my life. I think about the people whose faithfulness impacted me. I think about my mom and my dad who have been faithful to God first and to each other second for 35 years. I think about how they were, man, they worked so hard to create an environment where we could know God and we could know we were loved. And I know that there had to be moments, probably around I was like 13 to 15 years old, where they just felt like, is anything getting through? Can I get an amen, parents? Don't, if your kid's sitting next to you, don't say it. I know they had to be moments where they were frustrated. But you know what? They never gave up. They were faithful to God. I think about my grandparents. My grandpa at age 85 talks with a really thick Irish accent. You probably wouldn't even understand half of what he says. But let me tell you this. He loves Jesus more today at 85 than he's ever loved him in his life. And his faith is unrivaled by any 25-year-old I've ever met. The guy believes God for bigger things, more audacious things than anybody I've ever seen in my life. But I know it would have been easy for him to give up and just revert back to his past, his childhood, where he was orphaned, basically, where nobody wanted to take him in, where he was abandoned by his dad. But you know what? He said yes to Jesus and that call in his life. And he said yes to raising a family. And he said yes to whatever God asked of him. Because of that, we are still in the wake of what he's done. I think about my youth pastor, Andy Sink, living in the depths of Texas right now around gas stations and not a lot of light poles. Andy Sink didn't lead a youth ministry of a thousand kids. 
He didn't have a name that would be highly sought after or known by most people worldwide. But what he did do is he invited me into his world. He believed in me. He challenged me. I can remember the times at 6.30 a.m. where we would pray together at the church before I would go to school because he believed that God could do something through my life. And you know, I know there have to be moments where Andy Sink got discouraged because sometimes we'd show up to youth group and there would be three kids. And I know he had to feel like, I don't know if what I'm doing is worth it or rewarded or making a difference, but can I just tell you this? I'm so thankful he was faithful. That there will be so many people in heaven because of his faithfulness. Because of what he said yes to when it was a lot easier to say no. My hope for you today is that no matter what is in front of you, what relationships with your kids or with your spouse or with the people at your work, what opportunities you have, I'm praying that whatever is in front of you, that you would view it as an opportunity to make God known, to multiply what you have, because ultimately I believe that Jesus made it very clear. If that's the life that you choose, even when it's difficult right here and right now, there will be a day where you stand before Jesus and he says the same words he said to those servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Let's go ahead and pray. God, today we need you. We recognize that to be faithful is so difficult that the only thing that can really promote it in our lives is to allow your spirit to lead us and guide us. In fact, Jesus, you set the tone for faithfulness because even when we were unfaithful to you, even in our deepest, darkest moments where we had rejected you, you did not give up on us. Instead, we were wrong and you were right and you still initiated reconciliation. You still came for us even with no guarantee that we would say yes. This morning, I pray that those who are discouraged in their faithfulness, that they would be renewed, that their strength would be renewed. That those who have these seeds of faithfulness growing in their heart, that they would be watered and they would be given a chance to grow. Lord, I pray that you would give us even just a little glimpse into the reward, into why we're doing what we're doing, the impact that it'll make. We thank you that we're faithful to you because you're faithful to us. With no one looking around, I want to offer an invitation. It's really just this. It's to trust God. See, some of us, we like the idea of following Jesus. We, we believe that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he did, that he died on the cross, rose again, but the part that we struggle with is to actually trust him that if we give him our life, that it'll be worthwhile. Maybe some of you have struggled with that trust. Today, I wanna give you an invitation to trust him. See, Jesus made it very clear. He said, look, I came to forgive your sins. I came to offer you eternal life, but here's what it's gonna cost. It's gonna cost your life. It's going to cost giving me the leadership in your life. But Jesus also made it very clear. He said, if you give me your life, I'll show you true life. 
I'll show you real life. I'll show you what it looks like to really live. Some of you, you're at the point where you say, you know what? I'm ready to trust you. I'm not asking if you grew up in church or if you got baptized as a kid or as an adult. Those are great things. What I'm asking you is, have you ever made Jesus the leader, the Lord in your life? If you haven't, I want to give you that opportunity. And what we're going to do in just a moment, so I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to have you come up to the front or stand up. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead a prayer. It's a prayer that so many in this room have prayed before, but it's a, a powerful prayer because it represents a decision you're making in your heart to place your faith, to place your belief, to place your trust in Jesus. So if you say, I'm ready to come into a relationship with Jesus, to give him my life, then we're all going to pray it together. But I want to encourage you, it's not just the words you're saying, it's the heart you're saying it with. So church, would you help me pray? No one prays alone. Say this, say, Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes. But this morning, I make a decision, a commitment to follow you. I give you my life. I trust you. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.